Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker betting show sponsored by 888 Sport. This is a weekend preview looking ahead to the racing at Kempton and the Ida at Newcastle. I'm your host George Ellick and today I'm joined by tipster Rory Delaghi and racing broadcaster Ed Quigley and 888 Sport ambassador Barry Geraghty. Stay tuned to hear which horse both Ed and Rory think is the value play in the first at Kempton. Yeah, Rory would be accusing me of plagiarism on the back of this, yeah. So <laughs> so copy and paste, essentially. Find out which outsider of the whole field Rory thinks is a bet in the big handicap at Kempton. Uh, you know, my conclusion with this race is, is that is that one of the newcomers um, will throw down a late triumph challenge with a win in this race. And take a trip down memory lane to a 2015 winner that Barry rode for Neil Mulholland. No, it doesn't. We had some good times. It was a, it was a great, great race to win for him. Yeah, always a pleasure to be joined on the Odds Checker Betting Show by 888 Sport Ambassador and former jockey Barry Geraghty. And Barry, before we look ahead at the weekend's action, um, mainly at uh, Kempton, um, I'm going to have a quick look at Newcastle as well. Let's look back at a, a, a decent weekend's racing last weekend as well uh, at Ascot and at Haydock and, and, and elsewhere. Any performances that really caught your eye, either with an eye on Cheltenham next month or, or, or for the further future? Well, I suppose Fakir de Dere was a good performance from him. Um, it was a competitive race, probably not a vintage race. Um, I think his jump at the second last took from maybe his finish. He did well to get back. He lost a lot of momentum there. He was a good winner, but he wasn't as impressive as you might have liked. Um, it was a good, solid performance. <clears throat> he probably he is an each-way player in the Ryanair. Uh, there isn't much to take on Allo at the minute. So he was next best last year. He could be next best again. Um, I thought good risk at all was a good performance in the handicap hurdle. Likewise, probably not an overly strong race, but you'd have to be impressed with the performance stepping up and trip. Um, he gets £10, I believe, for that. So I think that's, as a Carl Cup option or even a Martin Pipe, um, I think he'd be very competitive in handicaps. Um, there was good action in Haydock. I thought, um, I thought Hillcrest was impressive. Uh, his jumping was a little bit askew at times. He bunny hopped a little bit like French Holly, if you like. But I think... Haydock has a tendency to do that. Being such a flat track, emphasis is, albeit it was in slow ground, emphasis on speed. Horses are always going forward. They're not getting a chance to back off, getting their hocks, get organised. Cheltenham is a different um, proposition. I think that can suit them a lot better, especially the new course, big galloping tracks, different tracks. I think they'll play to his strengths and you'd have to be impressed with him. Porticello, likewise, I don't think Haydock plays to his strengths, but he jumped an awful lot better, which was a real positive for him. So no, a couple of good ones. Tia Poo then in Ireland as well. Really impressive. Mm -hmm. Beat Durasso comfortably in the Red Mills hurdle. And Durasso is as consistent as they come in the 150s plus bracket. So um, Tia Poo, you'd have to take note for him for the champion hurdle. Yeah, Tia Poo now 8-1 to one for the champion hurdle. with appreciate it. 4-1. to one. Honeysuckle, 8-15. A couple of the other ones you mentioned there. Um, Fakir Duderi, best price, 14-1. to one for the Ryanair as well. And uh, in the other Bartlett uh, Hillcrest, we've got uh, in at 9-2, although there's been some talk after that performance that he's not guaranteed uh, to run there. So it might be worth making sure you take the no runner, no bet that plenty of firms, most firms are now offering. If you look at the top of the odds checker grids, you can see which firms are offering uh, non runner, no bet, 888 Sport, one of those firms who are. Um, Barry's mentioned a few there. Rory, uh, any for you from last weekend that you thought really stood out that went into your notebook that's worth so much? Yeah, I was impressed with uh, with Hillcrest, um, given that I didn't think Haydick would suit him particularly well, um, and that, you know, it's a, it's a tight track for such a big horse. 
Um, I know um, Barry likened him to, to French Holly there, which is a, a fair comparison. And he was an absolutely top-class hurdler. He sometimes kicked them out of the way when the, when he met them on the wrong stride. But all in all, I'm, I've been very impressed by the way Hillcrest jumps, given that um, horses of his size often struggle with hurdles. Uh, and he does look like a, a, a chaser of the future. But he was nimble in the straight. And I like the way he um, he went on over the last two hurdles because they've gone they've gone hard enough in the middle stages of that race. And he should have been getting tired and, and potentially making mistakes at the end there. But actually, his jumping... Um, towards the end of the race was very good and he pulled right away so that was, I thought that was a really good performance uh, and one that gives him a decent chance at Cheltenham um, whether um, Henry Dilly decides to go there remains to be seen entry obviously would suit him very well mm. yeah absolutely and uh, Ed just heard you there chatting off air with Barry about um, Cheltenham Festival's gone past uh, well anything from last weekend that got you excited about the one coming up in a couple of weeks yeah, it doesn't take much to get me excited, does it, George? Uh, no, one, one of the one of, one of the um, one of the beaten runners, I suppose, his his uh, claims have been quite well advertised, it would appear uh, now. But that'd be Corrick Rambler, uh, with the view to the altar in mind. He's been a horse I've had on the radar for that race for quite some time. I, I was kind of it, it just I was texting Peter Scudmore in the build-up to the Reynolds Town. Said, just please do not run him. You're going to smoke your handicap mark for the Ultima. In, in, you know, been beating a neck in a in Ascot, and then uh, you're not winning again for two years. And he kind of laughed. But they decided to have a, a tilted it because it was a good pot and a good prize. And uh, he was just creeping into contention very nicely coming to five out. Obviously, still a long way to go. And unseated Derek Fox. And I gather afterwards, Derek said he felt. Was absolutely tanking at the time and as a consequence he has protected his mark going forward to the ultimate now look it's not the ideal uh, kind of scenario but he will run there next i just think he's got the perfect profile for that type of race that novices have an outstanding record in that contest i think they've won five of the last 11 renewals you know which the line man we've got uh, hollywell or top four two kustar civiler uh, i think Bensalem was more or less a novice um i think it was his fifth chase start when he won is what you pay for in lack of experience, you often um, you've got a few more pounds up your sleeves than some of those more exposed types going in there. So he's a previous winner at Cheltenham as well, Corrick Rambler, albeit on the new course, but he's got course form and he's off that kind of ratings band as well, where all those horses are rated in the 140s. He is rated 140. So um, he, he at the moment, he's one of my kind of strongest handicap fancies for the week. And uh, he's won that in a bizarre kind of way, George, <laughs> by... Um, by uh, not completing in Ascot, I actually think he's uh, enhanced his chances at the Cheltenham Festival in three weeks' time. Yeah, it's not often you get a horse going from 25s into 12s off the back of an unseat, uh, but that is the case with Quiet Ground. But 20, 12 to 1 breast price at the moment, as short as 8 to 1 uh, in a couple of other places. Barry, I come to you now before we, we let you go and, and get on with your day. Um, we looked last week at, at the Rye now. I think we're now going to have a look at the. Um, Gold Cup, the big one of the week, as some people have you believe. And Aplutard is still a favourite at 130, went off favourite last year. Galvin, uh, the joker in the pack now, separating those who came first and second last year, four to one. Manila Indo, five to one. Uh, Protector at eight to one. Albion Photo, 10 to one. Tornado Flyer, 12 to one. Conflated 16s. Chantry House, 18s. Royal Pagai, 20s. Stereon Falange, 25 to one. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's still a fairly deep race. I think so much attention goes to top three in the market. Where do you see the value being at, at, at this stage? Yeah, I think it's very tricky. Um, Apple Tarrant obviously really impressive back in Hayduck, but then he got turned over by Galvin. Galvin has a good level of form, but I think Galvin is very ground dependent, so I wouldn't rush into him. He has a chance 
Um, but I think the better the ground, the better for him. Does stay really well. Absolute hard and middle end, though, a little question mark with Henry's horses form. You see Calixios last weekend, been well mm. beaten in Gorn. You want to see them hitting top form going to Cheltenham. We've a couple of weeks to go yet, so I'd be slow to get stuck into either of those. Uh, I think protect the rat. He's definitely a horse who's on the up. He's a very good performance in entry. He ran keen, but he still saw it out really well. So I think he has to have a chance. Album photo, Willie wasn't overly excited with his prep um, for the Gold Cup last season. And he was the one I fancy there. I wouldn't be shocked to see him coming back and run a big race as well. Um, so I think it's very, very open and tricky. I do like the two of those. And Nicky seems to hold out um, some hope to get Chantry House back to the level of form that he was. So he's still hopeful of a big show there. But it's just a tricky race. I'll be waiting a little bit just to see how Henry Hurst has come back to form. Um, but at the minute, I think Chantry House is a fancy price. And album photo or uh, protector that would be the ones for me. Laying the top three. Uh, protector at eight to one best price, as I say, album photo. Um, no doubting his quality around Cheltenham, ten to one, and Chantry House eighteen to one. Uh, Barry, last um, last little question for you. Trip down memory lane, if you will. I spent Tuesday um, at Neil Mulholland's uh, yard down near Bath, um, who informed me that you guys go go pretty far back in, in terms of your relationship. Um, we filmed a piece there that'll be coming out on the Odds Checker YouTube channel, uh, a day in the life of, of Neil Mulholland, fairly soon. Um, and reminiscing with him about his only, his first, his only at the moment, on the festival in uh, on the Druid's nephew. And you were, of course, on board. What do you remember of the day? It was a great, great win. Um, I'd ridden him in November in Cheltenham in the Three Mile Three Chase, and he was second to Sam winner on soft ground. Uh, really good run, but knew the ground was against him. So I was really hopeful going into the festival of a big show on the better ground. Um, and likewise, as it usually does for us who wins a competitive handicap, you tend to get a dream run, you tend to travel really well. There's times you don't, but a lot of the times the winners, usually things happen from, and it happened really easy. It was a competitive race, good gallop, just sat in kind of sixth or seventh, crept away, jumped nicely, traveled, got to the front turning in far sooner than I'd intended, but I was full of running and just spotted a stride the second last, flew it, flew the last, and kept him lit. And it was, it was a good performance, and it was great with the connection I had from Neil, going back to our early 20s when he was in Ireland, back at home living in Cashel with Ken Whelan and with one or two good nights out back then so it was, a, it was nice to write a festival winner for Neil. Yeah off, off camera over a cup of coffee he might have said to me that he remembers when he used to sleep in his on his floor next to his bed and then a couple of years later you were winning the Ch- race of Chuck festival together it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> no it doesn't we had some good times it was, it was a great great race to win for him. Top man thank you very much Barry uh, make sure you check out it'll be coming out in the coming weeks a day in the life of Neil Mulholland's a racing trainer. Um, it should be a, a great bit of content. Neil's a, a great guy who looked after us very well. And uh, certainly he, um, you could see how much it meant to him reminiscing about that day. Thanks, boys. So time to turn our attention now to Kempton. Uh, we are recording this at about one o'clock on the Thursday. So final decks are in. We've got prices for the first five at Kempton. Then we're going to have a quick look at the Ida over at Newcastle as well. So six races to preview. And we're going to start with the first at Kempton, uh, the handicap chase over an extended two and a half miles. You know, Phlegmatic is the seven to two favourite ahead of uh, Patroclus at four to one. Uh, Dayrand Carjack is five to one. Chameleon, seven to one. Not a role model, eight to one. Neil the Legend, nine to one. Nine to one also. Foxborough and ten to one. One true king. Eight runners here, Rory. I'll give you the first run on this opener. Yeah, this one's an, an easy enough one for me um, in that I've, um, I've mentioned this horse a couple of times this season. 
um, but haven't been keen on him at Cheltenham. Um, and he's now back at a track which will suit him better. He's he's a little bit of a weak finisher, Dayran to Karjak. Um, but what he wants is good ground and um, a reasonably flat track. He handles Cheltenham perfectly well. He's just, um, it, it doesn't tend to suit his style of racing. Um, he wants to come from from um, from just off the pace. And uh, he's fallen to a very good handicap mark as a result. He's caught the eye a few times. Um, but uh, he was 1-4-2 when he was, um, when he was third at, at Warwick in May. Um, a race where he travelled really strongly and he traded odds on and running there and, and didn't quite get home. Uh, and that's always been a bit of an issue. He's, he's, he's had wind problems, but he's run very well um, a couple of times at Cheltenham. He wasn't disgraced in, in the Paddy Power Gold Cup, but he was, um, he was only beaten nine lengths in the end, but he was trying to come from virtually last in that race. Uh, and the, um, the nature of the course just doesn't, um, doesn't favour that kind of run. And he's been just out of the money in the last two runs in similar races at Cheltenham. Uh, and with each of those runs, he's come down further in the weights. So he comes down here to a mark of one, two, nine. He gets on good ground uh, or very close to good ground for the first time um, in, in some time, which suits him ideally. And he should be hard to beat as a result. Darren Dekarjak there, five to one best price as it stands, uh, condition suiting. Ed, I can tell by your facial expressions that you were about to say exactly the same thing. Yeah, Rory would be accusing me of plagiarism on the back of this year. So, <laughs> so copy and paste, essentially, the job. No, I, I agree with a lot of what Rory's saying there. Yeah, a horse who's, I think, 146 peak down to 129. Uh, you know, I get my Michael Fish impressions on, don't I, most times I'm on this show. And looking at it, looking 11, 12 degrees, sun and blue skies over Sunbury for Friday and Saturday. And I think it's good to soft, uh, good in places at the time of recording. So he's going to have, by all accounts, uh, unless some weird storm comes in, he's going to have absolutely love, lovely ground to race upon back on a flat track. I remember when he bezzed around Huntington uh, once upon a time, that very happy uh, in that kind of scenario. So, yeah, uh, totally on board with what Rory said. Uh, I thought just on uh, a note on the favourite phlegmatic, I, I thought his apparent improvement seemed to come from going up to three miles on better ground. Uh, I mean, he was off the bridle a fair way out last time out. So he's interesting that the coming back in trip with him didn't necessarily on the back of that uh, look a, a natural move, shall we say. I thought they would have persisted over the longer trips. But uh, look, clearly, scouted team are in good form. The horse is in good form. But uh, yeah, very much with the uh, Dayrand de Kayak angle here. Good. Easy start. Dayrand, Dayrand de Kayak is the five to one double pick for the two guys. And because... Rory um, said exactly what we wanted to say. Ed, I'll come to you for the second race, which is the 150, the juvenile hurdle over two miles. Knight Salute is the nine to four favourite ahead of Pleasant Man at four to one. Impulsive one, six to one. Mocha Davasi, 15 to two. Greystone, nine to one, 11 to one bar. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more uh, splinters my backside with this one, uh, George. I mean, Knight Salute is the, the go-to horse, uh, clearly. Um, and his form has been well advertised, hasn't it, from his, his win at Doncaster. We saw off Porticello. Uh, that horse actually bolted up by 20 lengths or so in the Victor Dodorum last weekend. And obviously he had impulsive one behind him in that race who he meets again here. Uh, so looks fairly solid. He's got the course of distance form and good ground in it. But what's making me a little bit reticent is this uh, this pleasant man who's obviously being talked up in a lot of circles and had a fair horse, was a fair horse on the flat when trained by Roger Charlton. I think it was mm. officially rated 101 at his peak. So clearly got an engine. And really interested in that Nichols team decide to throw him in here. I mean, they did it with a horse, didn't they, about three years ago called Solo. I think made his uh, his hurdling debut for Paul Nichols and one by 17 lengths. And this very different type of horse, I should say. Solo was uh, from, uh, you know, he was from France. This is a horse off the flat, uh, very similar to last year's winner Tritonic in that kind of profile, I think it's fair to say. But you've got this big unknown quantity. You've got a, a border enlisted class flat horse. 
who uh, who knows uh, against these experienced types whether his jumping will just crumble under pressure if he takes to it. Um, then yeah, we could see something very special. But so w- with this huge kind of massive question mark in the field for me, I'm I'm tempering my enthusiasm a little bit with Knight Salute. But uh, as much as I say I'd, I'd like to look for something more fanciful, uh, I think Knight Salute is the solid horse. Uh, Milton Harris. Uh, a wonderful comeback kind of campaign and uh, his horses have been going well and the horse does tick a lot of the right boxes. I think he's the right favourite, but I am just slightly nervous uh, if you were a nice salute backer, what uh, Paul Nichols' charge can offer. Yeah, looking at the triumph odds at the moment, you've got Knight Salute is the six to one, sorry, sixteen to one, um, and Pleasant Man about twenty-five to one best price, but has been cut in a couple of places. Um, one firm even go ten to one about Pleasant Man, which suggests, as you say, a bit of a talking horse coming into this one. Rory, how do you uh, view the Adonis? I think the chances are that um, this will go to a newcomer. Um, I, I like Knight Salute a lot. He's um, he, he keeps getting the job done, but he's he's not the scorpiest. He's only a, he's only a um, a little fella, um, and he's clearly the one to beat on paper. But it's interesting that some of the big yards of Paul Nichols, particularly, has aimed newcomers at this race down the years. Um, and it's not just it's not just the one uh, win he has in this. Obviously, as um, as Ed was saying, Solo won this a couple of years ago, but Zubair won this on his UK debut, um, having come from France in, in 2016, and Zarkander also won it on his hurdles debut in 2011. So Nichols, more than most, has had his eye on this as a a springboard for talented um, ex flat horses um, over the years. Um, but you've also you don't just have him. You've got you've got uh, three interesting ones here. Pleasant Man, uh, obviously coming off the of the uh, the flat here, uh, cost one hundred and seventy five thousand for Roger Charlton as mentioned. Uh, Rubo was a horse who wasn't beaten far in a Group Three uh, at Longchamp in September last year. The Prix de Latisse, um, who wouldn't be far behind Pleasant Man in terms of uh, of flat ability uh, and and sports the same colours. Um, as uh, as one or two previous winners of this for Nichols and Venetia Williams has got the famous five, uh, another one who showed useful form in the flat for Henri Alex Pantal and cost two hundred and fifty thousand. Now mm-hmm. Venetia doesn't quite have the same record with uh, with juvenile hurdlers that um, the Paul Nichols does, but I f- I feel the autumn form with the juveniles was pretty ordinary, um, and you're always looking for who hasn't raced and has entered in the triumph hurdle. All three of those have triumph entries. And I think the chances are that one of them will come through the test and, and win. Uh, Pleasant Man is the one who's been talked up most thus far, but it wouldn't be at all surprising if Rubo um, was good enough to, to make his mark as well. So I, I struggle to back horses knowing very little about them. You're, you're judging them on home reputation. Um, but I think, um, uh, you know, my conclusion with this race is, is, that, the, is that one of the newcomers um, will throw down a late triumph challenge with a win in this race overnight salute. Pleasant man, yep, four to one. Rubard is eleven to one. So a bit of a no bet race here with the uh, the newcomers um, really throwing a cat amongst the pigeons uh, in the second. We'll move on then to the third. Ned, I'll come to you again here. Uh, we've got those splinters out mm. um, in the uh, the pendulum novice chase. Uh, Pickdor, he is the fifteen to eight favourite ahead of Manella Drama at five to two. Fantastic lady, four to one. Miller's Bank nine to two. Go a little thirty three to one. Five run. Yeah, I'd probably be with Pick Dorhey on balance here. Uh, on official figures, he's the horse to be with. And I'd be 
half tempted to put a kind of line through his run, a run, line through his run, a run through uh, a line through his run uh, last time out at Sandown behind Long Press, where we know Pick he likes to try and get on with things, uh, at least over fences anyway, try and dominate small fields and ping away in front. We saw it in Newbury earlier in the season when he capsized, and we've seen it to success on more than one occasion too. But I think he paid a, a heavy price for trying to match strides with Lom Press at Sandown, who is a genuine grade one animal. And I think it kind of backfired as a result of that. And I think Harry Cobden, actually, in, in the kind of the aftermath in the interview, you know, he said with reflection, perhaps he may have ridden the horse a little bit differently there, trying to go toe-to-toe uh, with that animal kind of backfired. So, um, again, here, tactics will be interesting because Manella Drama, I wouldn't say is a front runner, but likes to race fairly prominently so I think they won't be hanging around but I I, I just like Pick Dorhe if you if you take that one run out in, in isolation from last time out and looked in beforehand I thought he was really starting to get his act together his Achilles heel has been his jumping uh in more than one occasion he, he's a, how should you say he's a good jumper until he makes a mistake <laughs> if mm. you see what I'm saying he's not a kind of he doesn't fiddle from A to B he's quite exuberant Often a lot of his, his fences and some of them, some of his uh, fences, especially that newbie run earlier in the season, some of his jumps were really spectacular. I thought, wow. And then he does just have that tendency to to put down and, and throw the old stinker in, which is naturally a worry. But um, on balance, I would be with Pick Dorhey with the, the Nichols team coming into a bit more form. Manella drama is fascinating. Uh, just on a kind of technical point of view, he, he does tend to go right handed in a lot of his obstacles. But um all his wins and his best all his best form have come on left-handed tracks, which I thought is a it could be a little bit of a red herring that you read a lot of the analysis, uh, you know, a lot of the build-ups about his him jumping to the right. But um, we saw last time at Haydock uh, going left-handed was no problem at all, and uh, back up to two and a half miles, he looked much happier at that trip. Uh, yeah, trappy little contest. Uh, I haven't had a bet in a race. If you were uh, if you gave me ten pounds to do my going with, I probably would go with Pick Dorhey. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if he's just ridden with a, a little bit more restraint. I don't think it will be all guns blazing from the front here. And I think um, Harry Cobden would be in very close eye, at least trying to keep tabs and sense on what um, um, Brian Hughes is doing on Manella Drama. Pick Dorhey, 15 to 8, best price as it stands. Uh, Rory, how do you see this? Uh, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of Pick Dorhey. He is the best horse in the race. Um, and with his best foot forward, we'll take plenty of beating. I'd also say Kempton should, Kempton and Goodground should suit him. So he can have no excuses here. Um, but I thought he he had the race in the bag at Newbury and rather threw himself to the ground, I thought, um, in that uh, the uh, grade two Berkshire novices chase. He had nothing to beat at Ascot next time in that, you know, he, he had reasonably talented horses in behind him, but nothing really seemed to run a race. The jumping of his rivals that day was pretty dire. Um, and then he was um, uh, he was disappointed behind Lompresse. The ground would have been soft enough for him at Ascot, I suppose, although it wasn't, it's been deeper there. So it's easy enough to give him excuses, but I, I haven't really warmed to him. Um, and while he is arguably the horse to beat there, I thought Manella Drama was was valued to to get the better of him. Um, he's got a he's got a very good strike rate. Um, he's been keeping good company this year, uh, even you know in non-graded races. When he ran at Carlisle, for example, in a graduation chase, he ran into Warlord, who's um, an interesting outsider for the Arkle, uh, and was only beaten a short head that day. Uh, he was out of his depth in the uh, in the Henry VIII. That's been the, the warmest novice chase we've seen in this country this season. I can happily forgive him that. Also, under a slight change of tactics that day, ridden with a lot more patience and never really get into the race. And then he was um, back to his very best when, when he won the uh, the old car at uh, at Haydock last time out. This track ought to suit. Um, I take um, Ed's point that um, sometimes horses who jump out to the right aren't any better going right-handed than they are left-handed. But 
Um, most of his form has been on left-handed tracks, and when he has gone right-handed, he's run to it. So he's run to form at, at Carlisle. He was a winner over hurdles at Market Racing as well. So he seems equally adept either way around. Um, again, I think he will. Um, I think he'll give his running. I think there's just a bit more solidity and and um, uh, regularity about his form than there is with Victor. He picked his best form uh, puts him ahead of this, uh, but his best form is a fall. And that's not really ideal when you're punting horses, because um, again, you can't you can't claim your moral victory when you're five lengths clear and you fall with <laughs> So um, Manila Dramas, all his runs um, stand scrutiny, um, with the exception of, of obviously when he was uh, well beaten in the in the Henry the Eighth, um, which is very easy to forgive, very easy to forgive, and his time figures are very good for all those races as well. So he is guaranteed to run his race, um, and that gives him a chance of beating Pictori, who's not guaranteed to run his race. But we'll probably win if he does, if that makes sense. Of course it does. Absolutely. Good good rationale, in my opinion. Uh Manana Drama, five to two, best price to win. The two twenty-five at Kempton, the pick for Rory taking on Ed's pick Dorhey. There. A couple more races to get through the Dovecut first. Uh, the novice hurdle over two miles. Shall we have one more for the Moore team? Uh eleven to ten, best price at the moment. Odds on in a couple of places. Okun Riske is uh Ocken Risk is 11 to 2. Um, ICO 7 to 1, Fred Darm 7 to 1, Russian Ruler and uh, Mariko de Vassi both 10 to 1. Uh, Galore Dessence is 16 to 1, and Legionnaire is 40 to 1. Eight runners here, Rory. Uh, how do you assess these novices? Uh, with some difficulty, to be perfectly honest. I'm not mad on Shall We Have One More. Again, he's probably going to improve. Uh, for this sharper test, because his horse has clearly got a fair bit of speed, um, and you know he get he got stuck in the mud at Sandown, um, two starts ago in the Tolworth, having pulled hard. Um, they find the right the key to him last time out. Almost always, the key to a horse who pulls hard under restraint is don't restrain them. Mm. Let them let them stride on, and they t- what they're doing most of the time. You get horses who are just very free. And want to bolt. Then you get horses who just who want to race and tend to fight their jockey if they're if they're being told don't race. Um, but if you let them stride on, then they will relax and do their own thing uh, more often than not. And shall we have one more? Did relax a lot better at Sandown last time out, where he won easily. Although it might as well have been a schooling session. Um, he was he was well clear of his rivals early on. Then nothing threatened to throw down any kind of challenge to him, and he's won by uh, you know one by twenty lengths without having to break sweat. Essentially, he was racing the clock there and he didn't achieve a huge amount against the clock. Uh, he didn't have to. It's not his job to win by as far as possible. But it's difficult to be adamant about how strong that form is, given it was it was just him expressing himself on his own. If he'd done that in a very good time, then you could you could take a higher view of it. The chances are that if he was asked to do more, he would have achieved more in the day as well. Um, but that doesn't make it terribly easy to, um, to put a figure on it. Uh, it does at least show you that your concerns about him going into that in that will he settle um, have been essentially answered and they're probably going to ask him to lead again here, which gives him a favourites chance. But whether he's whether he's a, sort of an even money favourites chance is another matter altogether. Mm. And I'm not convinced he is. Um, I'm not, again, for me, I'm not sure, I'm not entirely sure it's a betting race um, given these are mostly reasonably progressive novices. If I thought Mariko Tavassi could jump, uh, I think he's um, he's got plenty of talent but he did fall at Huntington, um, making his second mistake of the race, and it was a it was a very bad mistake. 
Um, and at the Doncaster last time out, he won and he did he did well to win because he was in the wrong part of the track and he had to chase um, uh, the well-ridden runner-up down off a slowish pace, which wouldn't have suited the way um, the way he was he was ridden that day because he was he was a prominence throughout at Huntington on his previous start. So trying to come from behind off a modest pace didn't really help him. So he's better than the bare result. But my worry with that performance was that at, at the second last and the last. Um, Aidan Coleman had to sort of wrestle him into the corner of his hurdles to get him to jump safely. And um, maybe he just needed that schooling session to get his confidence back. But he, he can't do that in a, in a competitive race like this and get away with it. He has to have improved his jumping. If he has, um, then the ability is there for him to, to run above uh, his price. But it's enough of a question mark to stop me getting involved. Uh, and the other one I thought was interesting was Auckland Risk. But he's, again, the market's pretty much cottoned on to him. Uh, given he was winning a handicap of 117 last time out, he's in here as second favourite, isn't he? Um, so there's often, if a horse is winning a handicap off that mark and going into a graded race, uh, a grade two next time out, you expect to get big prices about them, but you're not really with him. I thought he was impressive that day. Again, that impression was backed up by the clock uh, on a similar track. I've encountered a real speed favouring track, um, but I, I thought I might get a point or two bigger about him. Um, he, he'd be the solid each way play in the race, um, but as it stands, um, I'm uh, I'm not getting involved. I have to say. <laughs> so Ed, after Roy's just ruled out every single horse in the field, uh, can you tell us who you think the value, the value is? Uh, if you said seven to one for ICO, I'd be tempted yes. to to roll the dice again with him. I think um, Roy did make a very good point in regards to trying to keep a lid on horses who like to be free or keen. I mean, we saw ICO over course of distance at Christmas, didn't he? He looked, it was emphatic uh, in, in the manner in which he kind of carted himself to the front and Harry Cobden said, all right then, but let's just go. And look, he, he ran his rivals ragged that day. Uh, admittedly, the form in behind, I mean, it's kind of got a bit of a, a mixture to it, doesn't it? I mean, the horses who were second and third have run well in defeat since. They haven't kind of embarrassed themselves, shall we say, in defeat. And then last time out at Cheltenham, they, they, they seem to try and switch tactics up totally with ICO. Uh, I, I was I was there on the rails for that race and he was pretty headstrong. and He was a little bit lit up um, going down to post, you know, quite a packed enclosure there and everything. I think he kind of, I wouldn't say left his race behind going to post, but he definitely got a little bit on edge. And, Harry Cobden tried to kind of bury him behind pace, behind rivals, to get him to switch off. And he was just fighting Harry's arms out for the first half mile of that race at all. And he just fell in a crumpled heap in the end, didn't he? And also, I think he was out of his depth in that company with, with hindsight as well, behind the likes of Pie Piper. Back here over the C&D, again, on a track much more favouring the speed angle, if you like. I, I would just be very happy if... The horse wants to get on with things. They don't mess around here and keep this uncomplicated. If, if they go off and horses are good enough to pass them at the run-in, so be it. But I don't see, uh, you know, a massive upside to trying to get him to switch off again here. He, you know, with time and maturity, perhaps he will develop into the type of horse that, I mean, Paul Nichols has already said next, next year or the year after, fences will be the name of the game. And it's very much the angle, isn't it, at the moment with, with Paul's team down in Somerset. So... Seven to one. I mean, if official figures are anything to go by or care about, then um, he's, he's holding a few of these and he's about four times the price of some of them. So uh, I, I think, yeah, I'll give him another opportunity back in a track which should be much more suited to his demands. And uh, as I said, I just would hope they let him roll along and um, utilise what looks to be a, a fair enough turn of foot on, a, as I said, on a track much more suited to him. 
Yeah, ICO 7-1, worth pointing out as well. Andy Holding, odds check his tips, was very, very keen on ICO's first run uh, at Kempton as well, was with ICO against Pied Piper. Um, and, you know, as you say, they're not Cheltenham, not to everybody's taste, but back at Kempton as well. Could easily bounce back at a big price. Uh, last race we're covering at Kempton is the uh, handicap chase over three miles. We have uh, 14 runners here. Uh, so keep an eye on those place terms on the day. Uh, and Sam is five to one, five star getaway, six to one. The big breakaway, eight to one. Galahad Quest, eight to one. Captain Noor and Zanza, both 10 to one. Good boy Bobby, 12s. Phoenix Way, 12s. And Rillo, 14s. Layla, 16s. Our Power, 16s. Beakstown and uh, Zaguli, both 20 to one. And Kitty's like 25 to one. Rory, over to you. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'd be quite interested in Kitty's light at a big price. I think Christian William Christian Williams holds the key to this um, uh, to this race. He's got um, he's got several entries, and I think you're just about to see a Christian Williams renaissance. Um, he's been um, he's had an okay season, Christian, but they've not exactly been uh, been firing on all cylinders throughout the year. But uh, interestingly, there are two runners at Ludlow yesterday um, who went off at uh, fifty to one and nine to one. Uh, one of those was beaten half a length. Uh, and the other one won in really good style. And it just gave me the impression that Christian's just got his horses exactly where he wants them at the moment for the first time in a while. Uh, and while Kitty's Light wouldn't be top of my list uh, for this without seeing prices, uh, and especially coming off the back of a, a, a disappointing run over course and distance in January, uh, I thought a six-week break since then would have done him good. Um, he's also back on the ground that he wants. He doesn't really want soft ground. So back on good ground. With Brian Hughes booked, uh, I did not think he should have been. He should be twenty-five to one outsider of the party here. So he he makes as much appeal um, as anything. Um, obviously, uh, Captain Ord in there for uh, uh, for Christian and Five Star Getaway is, is arguably the obvious one. I thought he ran very well in the Masters handicap chase at uh, Sandown last time out. He'd probably be top of your list um, looking at it. But I can't. Um, I don't think I can resist twenty-five to one about Kitty's light. You know, he's still only a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like, you know, we've seen the best of him. He's been reasonably busy over the last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, he kept his form very well. I thought he was the kind of horse who would, who would pick up a couple as a, a four-year-old because he was getting the, um, uh, the weight allowances. But I thought he showed tremendous improvements uh, in the spring of that season to win some more. And I think he will have a good spring again. He's dropped to a mark of 140, uh, which is three pounds lower than when he was a very good second uh, in the, uh, the Native River Handicap Chase. used to be the first the first proper race of the season when I was a lad. Uh, it was a Mercedes-Benz handicap chase back then, and it was the first televised racing on uh, entry back then, or maybe maybe Haydock. Um, so that that was always a big day for me. So he was he was second in that, which was down the Native River chase. Uh, that was in good to firm ground off 143, dropped to 140, back on good ground, Brian Hughes on board, 25 to 1, what's not to like? What's not to like? 25 to 1, Kitty's like the outsider of the field as it stands but if I know Rory and I think I do will not be the outsider on the field come uh Saturday because the good you know other people will will see the value there uh Ed who do you think at the moment is the uh, is the bet to have yeah well as you know George I'm it's actually in the wash at the moment my uh hashtag team Tizard t-shirt so I haven't got <laughs> on for today's today's show but um you're wearing, you're but, wearing a team Pauling one instead aren't you uh well it's either it's either team team <laughs> ben Pauling or team Tiz. yeah yeah most you know just just copy and paste me and, and that's pretty much most of these also checker podcasts and I'm new uh but I do like the claims of the big breakaway here uh we see the it's been well documented like 
it is our form, you know, and you actually look through the numbers and the stats and it is true. I mean, they're already 11 ahead for last year's entire total of winners. You look at the strike rate as well. It's up 6% on last year. Uh, everything does seem there's that feel good factor again, isn't there, about the yard? I mean, some of the horses last season were running deplorably. Uh, like almost too bad to be true. We heard all the stories about perhaps you know the hay they had to get changed and they disinfected so a lot of the areas of the stable and they were scratching their head and what loads of blood tests and can never really get to the bottom of it. And um, but this was one horse who actually showed some pretty decent form during that slump. And I actually think you know he's still carrying a bit of a lofty reputation from his novice hurdle days. But uh, and he, he only has the one win over fences so far from his seven starts. And that was when he bolted up at Cheltenham at the back end of 2020. But I was really encouraged by his, his prep run over hurdles at Newbury last time out. I mean, it was interesting to listen to uh, Joe Tizar was interviewed, obviously uh, assistant still uh, for the meantime uh, to to his father, Colin. He said, look, this is very much uh, uh, getting back on track after his wind operation, get rid of the ring rust with a view to the Kempton race. So they, I like horses who've been targeted, targeted at this as opposed to perhaps coming into this as an afterthought on the back of other success or, the fact that, you know, they've decided to take this path because of ground. This this has been the target for some time. He's still unexposed and his novice chase campaign was pretty useful. You know, he was runner up over course of distance in the grade one, the quarto star to Shamblu. He made an absolute horlicks at the last. I don't think he would have beaten Shamblu. I think he was beaten three lengths at the line. You could argue perhaps that would have been a length or so um, with a clear run, if some butts and all that. But, um, you know, and then he ran very respectably, I think, to finish third to Monkfish. And what was the RSA or whatever whatever it's called now? So mm. I, again, I just like the unexposed profile with profile with him. The yard are back uh, in form off one four seven. He's been targeted at this for some time. The headgear goes on for the first time just to try and make him sharpen up. But uh, as I said, there's a, there's a lot of horses in here. Uh, I, I take Roy's point with Kitty's light in terms of as a horse coming coming back down the handicap. And I, I'm always you know you can never ignore those types. But I do think there are a few in here. I wouldn't say they're exposed, but I think the handicap has got a fair idea where they are with these horses whereas the big breakaway off 147 um i'm still i'd be shocked if we're still yet to see the ceiling of his ability if you know what i'm saying and given that he's been targeted at this he's got very smart course forming gray one company as well um he would do for me uh, with brendan powell on board there you go the big breakaway eight to one best price as it is at the moment for the 337 at Kempton, the final preview race at Kempton. Quick look over at Newcastle for the Ida, uh, the handicap chase uh, over just over an extended four miles. And uh, history of fashion is six to one. Claire Surf, seven to one. Danio Dairy, eight to one. Domaine de Lille, nine to one. Courtmaster, tens. Check it out, 11s. Raf de Ear, 16s with Cash to Ash, 18 to one. Bar, 17 run here, Ed. I'll come to you first. Ida, uh, Ed for Ida. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, trappy, tricky. All the um, the platitudes can come out for this one, can't they? But um, yeah, I, I'd be. Um, I thought Domaine de Lille was was fascinating here for Sean Curran's team. Listening to what Sean was saying, he said he's a horse of a lot of ability. He's had a lot of problems with his wind. You know, he's had the wind operation. They've had the tongue tie on, and it's a case of when he. When he's been beaten, it's it's not through how he described his merit. It's more the, full horse, the fact the horse is just cut out. But if you can get him on a good day, when all the kind of the parts of the engine work, if you like, he's clearly a horse of a lot of ability. You know, we've seen that saw that Kempton uh, last year and saw it Cheltenham as well. He so he does blow hot and cold, but uh, he had his he had his prep run at Southall uh, over hurdles. To, you know, kind of get the uh, get things working again in January. There was a nice little run, nice little pipe opener, and yeah, he's definitely interesting. He's down to mark of one four four. That's the same mark as when he was last successful. Uh, and the only time he visited Newcastle, he actually bolted up in a handicap chase, albeit 
in, in a slightly low lower level. So the, the configuration of the track or anything like that holds no fears. He's on a competitive mark. If he can keep his kind of his wind in gear, then uh, I think he could definitely run a big race. Um, uh, also worth touch upon the, the ground usually. Uh, this is almost a little bit like the kind of Peter Marsh part two, isn't it, in previous years with the ground and, you know, mud flying everywhere. But again, officially good soft at the time of recording. And they're actually looking, uh, the weather could be a little bit kind up in the northeast there. And if that's the case, we could be looking at uh, genuine good to soft ground, uh, perhaps even a little bit quicker for this, which is not often the case. That would suit him as well. And um, often those horses have had a problem with the wind. It gets uh, kind of exacerbated, exaggerated, doesn't it, when they, they really tackle testing ground and have to go through the, the hard yard. So uh, he's got lots of form on the spring surface. Yes, he's got top weight. Um, Sean Curran doesn't have a lot of runners, uh, it has to be said, um, and doesn't have a big yard. But uh, what he is running at the moment, just started to hit a bit of form. I think he's had three winners in the last week or so. So, uh, yeah, he'll do for me uh, around a double-figure price. Uh, Domain Delil each way. Just on the proviso, uh, reins do not arrive and this becomes just a, a sheer battle of wills I don't think you'd be the horse to, to side with if that were the case 9-1 to one best price Domain de Lille so you're not getting a double figures quite um, but worth mentioning there um, for the listeners and viewers to uh, keep an eye on the weather if it suddenly does uh, start raining up there be a bit wary uh, Rory how do you see this? Um, loads of chances um, really open race and as, um, as Ed said uh, the uh, the going will be uh, enormously important when it gets genuinely testing in Newcastle. Uh, very few horses will be finishing this. So you need to have a bottomless stamina, um, which uh, not many can prove really. Uh, if it's a little bit quicker, then it's, it's kinder to the horses um, in that regard, uh, brings more of them into the equation. Uh, I'd quite like it to be, um, uh, to be pretty testing, but um, I, I wouldn't really mind in terms of my selection what the grind ends up as because he handles everything from good to firm to heavy. And again, it's a familiar theme. Uh, as I said, I, I can see a Christian Williams revival this weekend. Um, signs of it yesterday in Potter's Corner. Um, he's a 12-year-old now, but he's he's not had an awful lot of racing uh, since he won the, the Welsh National. And a lot of those races have come in um, uh, cross-country races or over hurdles. He's trying to protect a handicap mark for the National uh, last year, which he doesn't need to do anymore, having dropped to... Uh, to 138. Uh, he ran very well in the cross country at Cheltenham in, in December, um, was disappointing in the latest renewal of the Welsh National, but very few horses got involved in that. And um, uh, he was better than the bare result there. He did at least ship up well for quite a long way. He's been harder to predict these days um, and he does need to, uh, things to go right for him. But this is a decent opportunity now for Ellis Collier, who's um, got a, a very good rep, um, record uh, with Christian this season. Um, he's only had 24 runs, 24 rides this season, but six of those have been winners uh, and he's been impressive. Um, so he's he's been given um, a a proper job here on a, a big Saturday handicap chase to show off his seven pound claim. Um, and I think um, I think he's capable of uh, of uh, showing to the world that he's a, a very capable pilot. Um, and that takes um, Potter's Corner's weight um, down to 10 stone 13, which is... Um, uh, will be very welcome to him, given that he's normally been carrying big weights and handicaps for the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, his, as I said, his, his recent form is pretty patchy, um, but he retains plenty of ability, and this is a race that will suit him down to the ground. Um, so he's going to be capable of making his mark in a, in a, a televised race uh, in the future. It's liable to be this one, um, because it will, it will uh, put stamina at a premium, which suits him, 
and um, he's become well handicapped for the first time in, in some time. So again, he's going to be a biggish price, um, but I can see him running above his odds. I quite like um, of the others. I, mean, I, I like Daniel Derry a lot. I had him down as a very likely type for this race at the start of the season. This is a horse who who won a handicap in May, despite the fact that the handicap had given him a mark of 35. 35 was his official mark. Um, and he ended up, he obviously raced well out of the weights, ran off of an official mark of 73 and ran away with a handicap chase at Warwick. He's done that twice since, again at Warwick and at Foss last this season. And he just, he, he ran over hurdles at Lingfield, uh, the Winter Million Novice Hurdle at, their, um, at that two-day meeting. At Linkfield, and he's clearly not very good over hurdles. That's the the key to his his uh, improvement, is that he just looks a real a really natural staying chaser, um, and I think he'll run a big race. But he's very well found in the market. Um, I thought after that pool that run last time out, you might get a bit of value about him, but at the moment it isn't there in the market. Um, and I'd um, I'd be shopping around for bigger prices on him. I definitely looked at him as a saver, because I think he's the likeliest leader here. Although there are a few who want to go forward. He's a very bold jumper, and the softer, softer the ground, the better for him as well. Uh, although he's one, he's one and good to soft, but two of his wins have come on heavy, uh, and he will clearly stay all day. So he's an interesting one. Um, I, as I said, I just thought that I might be backing him at twenty to one for this race um, when I saw him earlier in the season, but that's not going to happen. Lovely stuff. Potter's Corner, the one there for Rory at twenty to one, and that brings our weekend preview to a close thank you very much to rory delaghi and to ed quickly for joining us today and sharing their expert tips andy is back from holiday next week and we're going to be having a look at the irish chances looking ahead to the cheltenham festival our first cheltenham special we'll be doing that next week so stay tuned do subscribe to the odds checker youtube page for that and also the a day in the life of neil Holland, as previewed with barry Garrity earlier thank you to 888 sport ambassador barry and 888 Sport for sponsoring this podcast as well. Hopefully plenty of value in there, both at Kempton and at Newcastle. Please ensure you enjoy the racing. And whilst doing so, please gamble responsibly.